So today we're continuing our series of Knowing God, and this morning we're going to specifically look at the topic of the Son's pleasure in the Father. So over this summer series, looking at knowing God, we're looking at how knowing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit more helps us in pursuing God and his presence in our lives. Peter introduced this series looking at God as Father. Ken then looked at the Father's plan for Jesus to be the centre. Aaron then spoke on the Father's pleasure in Christ. And last week we had the wonderful Will, all the way from England, share about how God is totally good and trustworthy. And he used the example of Matthew, the tax collector, and the Pharisees. And today we continue our Knowing God series looking at the Son's pleasure in the Father. Interestingly and unsurprisingly, what I'm going to share today will echo quite a bit of what Peter shared the first week when he looked at the topic of God as Father. I'll be totally honest with you guys, in preparing today's message, uh, I found it a real challenge. And I think mainly because it's going to touch on a topic that resonates with all of us. And that is our relationship with our earthly father. Some of us, unfortunately, don't have a good experience with our earthly father. Maybe they were abusive or neglectful, maybe just absent. Some of us have had a great relationship with our earthly father. For me personally, my parents divorced when I was very young. About the age of seven or eight, my mum and I moved to the south of England, and my dad stayed near the London area. And so from that age to about 18, uh, my relationship with my dad was pretty much just seeing him a couple of times a year when we would visit, uh, and he was also in the army, so he was overseas a lot of the time. And I didn't know any differently growing up through those years, but inevitably, that would have an effect uh, on me. And I'm sure for all of us, we've had a huge variety of relationships with our earthly dad. But either way, what I really want to encourage you is, it's really important that we don't view God the Father through the lens of our experience with our earthly father. Because whether our earthly father was really awful, somewhere in the middle, or absolutely brilliant, they all fall way short of the perfection of our father God in heaven. For me personally, I'm trying really hard to be an awesome dad. I want to be a godly, kingdom-focused, faith-filled, fun dad to my kids. But even on my absolute best day, I fall way short of the standard of our Father God in heaven. For example, our two girls, I pretty much always call Emmy Tabby and Tabby Emmy. And it doesn't help they start to wear each other's clothes. Um, I don't think I've yet sent them wearing the right sweater and footwear to school. Um, I always get their birthdays the wrong way around. Um, one was born the 9th of May, one was the 22nd of May. I have to do some crazy mathematical equation to remember which was which, and I pretty much get it wrong. And I often overstep the mark trying to be that cool, funny dad at the dinner table, and I do sort of a vomit joke or something that's a bit inappropriate, and I get a frown from Meg. Um, I could go on and on, but safe to say, I'm a work in progress as a dad. So... As I was preparing this message, I had to really pray, really pray personally, and I had to dig into the Bible. And I'm going to share a lot of Bible verses, and they're going to come up on the screen today. And I'm I'm unashamedly going to do that, because that is where we go to find out about our Father God. And I had to really press into God in preparing, and I had to begin to look through the lens of Jesus, not through my own experience. If I was going to discover Jesus' pleasure in the Father, I had to allow the Holy Spirit to guide me and not allow my personal experience to get in the way and influence it. 
And that's my prayer for all of us today, that, that we all get a revelation of Jesus's relationship with the Father and the pleasure that Jesus finds in his Father and how that is then outworked. And I pray it might be an inspiration to each and every one of us today as we allow God to lift off our earthly lenses and our experience with our earthly Father and see through the lens of Jesus. It says in the dictionary that pleasure is a feeling of happy satisfaction and enjoyment. Things we might find pleasure in might be watching the sunset, spending time with the grandkids, completing a task, swimming in the lake, meals out with friends, and so, so much more. So this isn't going to be an exhaustive list. But as I was praying, God revealed to me seven ways that Jesus found pleasure in the Father. And that's what we're going to look at today. So, um, firstly... Jesus found pleasure in the Father by being in the Father's presence, even when he was just a boy. Uh, it says this in Luke 2:41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not, oh, I've gone back one. I thought I had two here. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Even as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus wanted to uh, spend time in his father's presence. I, I read that and I just think, it's very hard not to be slightly judgmental on their parenting skills, isn't it? So it was an entire day before they noticed he was missing, three days before they find him. We, we were once in Ikea, and I don't have to explain that, do I? Because whether it's Ikea in Winnipeg or Ikea in England, it's just designed as a trap and a maze, isn't it? It's the same the world over. So our kids, we had Isaiah and Tabby were about four and two. Emmy was a baby uh, in a little buggy. And we'd gone to look for bunk beds. Uh, and we, we were having if you can describe it, an enjoyable experience. But we were in Ikea. Um, and we were looking at these bunk beds, and, and Tabby and Isaiah were just very small next to us. And for about 30 seconds, Meg and I were looking at a set of bunk beds. At which point we turned around and went, where are the kids? Where are the kids? I don't know where are the kids. I don't know where are the kids. And that panic sets in. It's like, for those parents, you've been there. I know you have. <laughs> There's nobody innocent in this room. Um, and we were like, We've got to find the kids. I was like, right, you go that way, I'll go this way. Let's hope we find our way around and end up back here and one of us finds the kids. So we set off and it was literally minutes. We like run around looking. We end up back by the bunk beds. Neither of us have found the kids. Panic is setting in. And I'm like, right, we need to find a security guard. Uh, we need to get the doors shut. Uh, we need to do a tannoy. Like I was going into panic mode. At which point, Isaiah, Tabby go, surprise, you found us. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> It turns out they were playing hide-and-seek with us. They didn't tell us they were playing hide-and-seek with us. They were just hiding. And it turned out they were, just, they were by a bed the whole time, right by the bunk beds. Oh. 
I don't know. I hear that story of Jesus for, for a whole day missing. I'm like, wow, that was about three minutes of our life that was so stressful. So Jesus found pleasure in the Father's presence, even as a boy. But also, secondly, Jesus found pleasure in the Father by praying and being alone with the Father as an adult. Mark 1.35 says this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. In Matthew 14, 22, it says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And in Luke 6, it says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Also, uh, if you recall the story of the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, this is just before Jesus would be betrayed, taken away, tried, beaten, and crucified. It says this in Matthew 26. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. This is Jesus. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And Jesus prayed a third time saying the same thing. As an adult, just looking at a few scriptures, there's loads more. Jesus found pleasure being in the father's presence through regular times being alone in prayer and listening to the father. Now, Jesus must have had to have been super intentional about that because his whole ministry time, he was constantly had a group of disciples wanting to know everything and a crowd constantly following him, wanting to see miracles and receive healing. So for Jesus, we think we're busy (laughs) and we think it's hard to find time alone with God. But for Jesus, he must have had to be really intentional about making that time. And I think he must have found such pleasure in that time of being alone with the Father, of listening to him and praying with him, that that was motivating him to constantly look for that space, to spend a whole night in the Father's presence. Uh, Thirdly, Jesus found pleasure in the Father by receiving heavenly provision. Uh, John 4, 31 to 34 says this, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, someone bought him some food. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Or what about this famous story you all know, the feeding of the 5,000? I'll read it to you. It's quite long from John 6. It says this. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this to only test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there, which means there's probably more than double that, including the women and children. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they'd all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who'd eaten them. 
It's an incredible story. We can get over familiar, can't we, with these stories. What an incredible story. Jesus found pleasure in the Father by receiving God's heavenly provision, supernatural provision. Jesus knew that he was in the will of the Father and in so doing could totally trust God to supernaturally provide. Fourthly, Jesus found pleasure in the Father by being comforted during times of despair. After 40 days being tested in the wilderness, Jesus must have been absolutely close to death. So God sends angels. It says this in Matthew 4.11. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Or in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, Jesus prays that the cup might be taken from him. And Luke's gospel says this in Luke 22. Jesus knelt down and prayed. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Jesus found pleasure in the Father by being comforted during times of despair. The fifth area Jesus found pleasure in the Father was by bringing glory to the Father. One example is the story of raising Lazarus from the dead. It's another long one, so I'll read it to you. In John 11, it says this. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odour, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Or in John 12, another example. Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem. He's explaining what's about to come as as he's heading towards his death. And he says this, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit not mine. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says this in Luke 22. Jesus prays, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus found pleasure by bringing glory to God the Father. In the sixth area, Jesus found pleasure in the Father by being obedient to the will of the Father. I've already touched on this in a number of passages already, but here's a few more examples. John 8, 28 to 29, Jesus said, When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. In the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, it says this, Going a little farther, he fell with his face. Hold on, I'm one behind, aren't I? There we go. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. 
He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Jesus found pleasure in the Father by being obedient to the will of the Father. And then the seventh area, Jesus found pleasure in the Father by knowing his identity. At Jesus' baptism, it says this in Matthew 3. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Or what about the story of the transfiguration? This is a story when Jesus goes up the mountain and he takes Peter, John and James. As Jesus is praying, it says in the scriptures that his face changed and his clothes become as bright as a flash of lightning. Moses and Elijah appear and then it says this in Luke 9. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son who I love, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. There's a lot of scriptures, but I really wanted to just unpack loads to highlight these seven areas. I don't know if anybody spotted, if you're really astute, you might have noticed that I kept using the story of Gethsemane. And that wasn't a mistake. It wasn't I was struggling for scriptures. <laughs> Let me explain why. We've looked at seven areas where Jesus found pleasure in the Father. One, in the Father's presence. Two, by praying and being alone with the Father. Three, by receiving heavenly provision. Four, by being comforted through times of despair. Fifth, by bringing glory to the Father. Sixth, by being obedient to the will of the Father. And seventh, by knowing his identity. And I purposely wanted to show how all of those areas actually all happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane is recorded in Mark chapter 14, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26, and the Gospel of Luke chapter 22. It's the, the pinnacle moment of Jesus' life and ministry as a human on earth. It's the moment when he could have just thrown in the towel, quit, run away, because he knew exactly what was coming. He knew he was going to be betrayed by a so-called best friend, one of his disciples. He would be totally and unfairly tried and sentenced. The people of God, the Jews of the day, they would be the ones chanting like a mob for Jesus to be crucified. And then he knew that he would then be uh, taken away, beaten and crucified. A death so barbaric that the Emperor Constantine would eventually ban it. Yet in this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was able to find pleasure in the Father's presence during a time of despair. He chose to pray and spend time alone with the Father. He received heavenly angelic provision and would choose to bring glory to the Father out of obedience to the will of the Father. And why? Because he knew his identity in the Father. Are you beginning to see through a slightly different lens, through Jesus' lens? You know, before Jesus came to earth incarnate as a man, God was known by many names. Elohim, God, Yahweh, Lord, El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty, Adonai, Lord Master, El Elyon, the Most High God. There are many Jehovahs, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord my banner, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, seven more Jehovahs. Each name, an incredible name, powerful and significant. But if we journey back to the Garden of Gethsemane, and we read in the Gospel of Mark, 
we'll find one word that changes everything. Let's read that together. Mark 14 says this. They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Let's just watch that scene on a video clip. Terry, you here? You watch with me. Things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will. But thine be done. Abba, Father. The word Abba is an Aramaic word, and Jesus spoke in Aramaic, and we have to thank the Holy Spirit for allowing that to stay in Scripture because it's so powerful. It's a common term that expressed affection and confidence and trust. So let me get this up. There we go. Abba signifies the close, intimate relationship of the father with his child, as well as the childlike trust that a young child puts in his father. So the best way that we could translate it in today's language would be daddy. How incredible is that? Daddy. When Jesus is crying out in despair in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cries out, daddy. Jesus had and has such an intimate relationship with Abba Father, his daddy, and such a total clear understanding of his identity in Abba Father that he was not only able to, but chose to live a life filled with the pleasure of God in full obedience to Abba Father. Jesus' love for Abba Father was total, complete and absolute. You know, Abba Father is only mentioned three times in the Bible. Here that we've read in Mark 14.36, but then it's also mentioned in Romans 8.15 and Galatians 4.6. If you were here a few weeks ago, I gave a simple gospel illustration using some Tupperware boxes, how, highlighting how if you'd become a Christian and ask Jesus into your life, then you have Jesus in you, that you are in Jesus, 
together in God and sealed in the Holy Spirit. Well, if that's you, if that describes you, if you're a Christian and have asked Jesus into your life, it means that the other two places in Scripture when it says Abba Father, they also apply to you. Let's read them. The first one in Romans 8.15 says this. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. If you've given your life to the Lord and asked Jesus to come and be your Lord and Savior, then you have been adopted by Abba, Father. To adopt someone is to make that person a legal son or daughter. And adoption is one of the metaphors used in the Bible to explain how Christians are brought into God's family. And then the other passage in Galatians 4 says this. So also, when we were children, we were enslaved under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive our adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, you're also an heir through God. And that changes everything. As an adopted child of God, you have the same relationship with God the Father that Jesus had and has. If we've been adopted by Father God, we can call him Abba Father, Daddy. How incredible is that? By knowing that you've been adopted by God and can now call him Abba Father, means that you too can find your total pleasure in the Father, just like Jesus. This is seeing God through Jesus' lens. You can find your total pleasure in all of those areas. In the Father's presence, in praying and being alone with the Father, in receiving heavenly provision, in being comforted through times of despair, in bringing glory to the Father, in being obedient to the will of the Father, and in knowing your identity as an adopted child of God who can cry out, Abba, Father. I was thinking through, what, what does this mean for me? And hopefully this might encourage you a little bit. So I was thinking about when I find my greatest pleasures, you know, one of them is when I'm in the Father's presence. During times of worship, there's a sense of fulfillment you cannot get in any other way, a sense of refreshing being in the Father's presence. I love quite a lot of things. For example, I love roller coaster rides, water parks. I like eating nice food. I like spending time with the family and traveling. But those things, compared to being in the presence of the creator of the universe, they just pale into insignificance. I found the most pleasure when I'm praying and being alone with the Father, when I'm reading the scriptures, reading the Bible, because I discover more about my Abba Father and my relationship with him. And as I pray, God reveals incredible things that I didn't know before. As I spend time praying and listening to my Abba Father, he also begins to restore my soul from past hurts. And I absolutely love it when God speaks to me, whether it's through scripture or through a prophetic word. Ah, there's just nothing quite like knowing that the creator of the universe is speaking to you. It's so undeserved, isn't it? I mean, most of you have heard the story, but, you know, going back last November, we were quite happily living in England. 
Um, but actually, God had begun to speak to us back in January of 2018. We'd been praying about, we felt there was some change coming, but we didn't know what. We'd been applying to become foster parents, and for whatever reason, doors were closing, and we were a bit frustrated. And one of our friends, a guy called Mike Beaumont, um, he said he'd been praying for us, and then he, and he shared this word. He said, you know, while I was praying for you, I was reminded uh, in Acts 16, it talks about how the apostle Paul is trying to go into Bithynia. But it says that the spirit of the Lord was stopping him. And he said, you know what, don't be discouraged and don't think this is the enemy stopping you. This is the Lord. It's the spirit of the Lord because he has something else planned. It's like, oh, okay. He said, because you know in that story, then the apostle Paul has a dream and a man says, come to Macedonia. He said, at some point you're going to get a call to Macedonia. And I was like, oh, great. Where's that? (laughs) And he went, no, I don't think you're going to go to actually to Macedonia. He said, I think what God's saying is, trust his time and trust him. At some point, you'll get a call and it'll be something a bit out there. So fast forward to November, and that's, that's on the back of my mind the whole time. Now, I'd obviously figured out what this meant. This meant I'd have a slight role change in the church or a real extreme push of faith. It would mean not working for the church anymore, but running a charity in the same area. You know, I was up for that. That was a big step of faith. So imagine the shock and horror of like, I'm sat in this meeting in November, Ron and Mary McLean are visiting, where our apostolic team are together. Um, I'm quite happy, you know, helping lead the church and overseeing the ministries and I'm on our regional team, the National Salt and Light team and everything's going pretty well. And then one of our prophets from the UK pipes up and says, I feel like God's saying there's someone in the room and he wants them to move to Canada. And like, I went proper I don't play poker, but I went poker mode. <laughs> like, no response whatsoever. But internally, something went, like, I was like, I think that's for me. So I was like, I wonder if I should tell Meg. So anyway, I went home, and I thought, she's going to think this is crazy. So I told her what happened. So what do you think? She went, that sounds exciting. I was like, really? So the next day, I'm like, wow, what's going on? I wonder if that was for me. Ron McLean comes up to me, and I thought he wanted a PowerPoint putting on the screen. And we hadn't really ever talked before. So he comes up and he goes, so Chris, have you ever considered moving to Canada? Oh, I got goosebumps. And I was like, well, honestly, yeah. Since I was 14, my best friend emigrated to Canada. And when I was just 14, I went and visited for three weeks. And ever since, I've always said I'd love to live in Canada. Obviously, never thought about doing anything about it. It wasn't ever an option. And he was like, well, we should maybe have a conversation. I didn't know that you guys were looking for someone. Um, that lunchtime, um, I, was, I was sat in our, our lunch area. There was a leaders meeting with Ron and Mary. And, um, the guy that oversees the prophetic team for Salt and Light in the Northeast came and sat next to me. And he started to give me a bit of a hard time. He said, so, Chris, I think you overcomplicate hearing from God. I was like, really? Why? He said, well, you know, yesterday there was that word about someone moving to Canada. I was like, yeah. He said, you know that's for you, right? And I was like, what? He said, yeah, but you know it was for you. I'm not telling you, you know, you already knew. I was like, well, I think I did. He went, oh, don't overcomplicate it. God's not that complicated. You know it's for you. And I was like, oh, what? I was like, you think it's for me? He went, oh, I know it's for you. <laughs> so I stood up in this room and I was like, like a deer in headlights. I don't know if that's a saying here. A moose in headlights? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't want to hit one of those. <laughs> a bear. <laughs> um, Anyway, this guy, Mike, who'd given us the word in January about Macedonia, he comes over and he says, you okay? So I told him what had happened. And he went, oh, Macedonia. I was like, oh. 
Then, I mean, that should have been enough, shouldn't it? The next morning, Mary's preaching for our, our regional service together. And at the end of it, I was like, God, I had no idea what's going on here, but you're clearly trying to get my attention. So I took my big bunch of work keys at the end of the meeting. I knelt down, I put them on the floor, and I said, well, Lord, you know, it's all yours anyway. So I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you want to do. I get up, and Will Horner comes over to chat. And I literally said to him, I'm really looking forward to working with you again, Will. It's been a while. It's exciting. Immediately, the guy that gave the original word comes over and he said, Chris, I need to talk to you. I said, oh, what's the matter? He said, I don't know if you can remember, but a couple of days ago I shared that I felt God was saying there's someone in the room that should move to Canada. And I was like, maybe. <laughs> and he said, well, that wasn't really the word. And I was like, what do you mean that wasn't really the word? And he said, well, Ron and Mary in the room and all the leaders are in the room from the apostolic team and I didn't want to speak out of place. And I said, but what was the word? He said, well, the words that you need to move to Canada. Oh, I tell you, at that moment, I was like, I think we're going to Canada. I guess we'll find out. Anyway, (laughs) do you know, the the most exciting thing for me over that entire weekend was the pleasure of knowing that God was speaking to us. It wasn't really about what was going to happen. It was that that the creator of the universe had a plan for our lives, and he wanted to talk to us about it. It was so incredible. Um, some other areas, I find pleasure when being the recipient of God's abundant and heavenly provision. Who doesn't? Um, when we need provision, we turn to Abba Father, we pray, and God is so faithful. I could spend the rest of today telling you some really cool stories about God's provision before we came, since we've come. And you guys, God has used a lot of you really in an in incredible way, so thank you. But let me read you this from my journal on June the 18th. I wrote this. <clears throat> Lord, I have the most incredible list of your provision during this whole process of leaving everything and moving to Canada. It's still all surreal and daunting, but your provision has been quite miraculous. I honestly don't think we could have coped without the level of confirmation that this really is your will and that we are bang in the centre of it. I feel my faith has grown exponentially. My choices have shifted. My perspective has changed and my hunger to grow more like Jesus has been reignited. Thank you so much for never leaving us or forsaking us. Thank you for providing in every way. Finances, health, peace, friends, guidance, purpose, jobs, kids' school, vehicles, fun times, houses, hope, ministry, and so, so much more. You are worthy of all praise. I find my greatest pleasure is when God comforts me in times of despair. I've never experienced anything like what Jesus experienced. But in times of trouble... When I look to my Abba Father, I find not only comfort for my soul, but pleasure in realizing that Abba Father is with me. He loves me, he cares for me, and he will walk with me through whatever difficulties I may be facing. And that really does bring such pleasure. I find my greatest and most satisfying moments in life are when I bring glory to God the Father. Like Consumed that we watched the video of, don't worry, the music wasn't like that all weekend. It was much louder. Um, God used me to lead two young people to the Lord. And I can absolutely tell you, there is nothing you can bring me to enjoy a pleasure that comes anywhere close to being used by God to glorify him and usher somebody into the kingdom of God. That is off the charts pleasure. (laughs) And I actually get the greatest satisfaction and pleasure when I choose to be obedient to the will of the Father. People, probably the one thing people ask us the most is, was it really hard to leave everything? And obviously the answer is yes. But the joy and pleasure that we found in hearing God 
going through the process of discovering his plans and purposes, knowing that God wasn't going to force us to go, but he was kind of suggesting this would be good for us. That was incredible. But then the process of being the recipients of God's grace and provision, comfort, guidance, supernatural work. I honestly can tell you it's been the most exciting adventure of our lives so far. We have found immense pleasure being obedient to the will of Abba Father. And the biggest reason is because we find our identity in Abba Father. I am adopted child of God. I am a child of God. Knowing God as Abba Father and finding our pleasure in him changes everything. But as we begin to bring this into land, this must have an impact on how we live, right? Jesus, totally assured of his identity in Abba Father, found his pleasure totally in the Father, not in anything else, which led him to lay down his life to be the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. Hebrews 12, 1-2 says this. There we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. To live as adopted children of Abba Father, to find our pleasure totally in Abba Father, means that we have to throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that entangles us. Whatever things that we find pleasure in when we should be finding that pleasure in God and run the race marked out for each one of us. That is total pleasure in Abba Father. When God said to us, will you leave everything and will you move to Canada We were honestly able to say, well, God, if that's the race you've marked out for us, then Abba Father, we trust you. Let's go. So in closing, if you're a Christian, then you have been adopted by Abba Father. You are a child of God. And because of the great cost Jesus paid for your salvation and eternity, choose today to find your total pleasure in Abba Father. I'm going to invite the band up as I finish up and then we'll respond. If you're writing notes, write this down. God is most glorified when you find your pleasure in the same way as Jesus did. Let me say it again. God is most glorified when you find your pleasure in the same way as Jesus did. And those were in Abba Father's presence, in praying and being alone with your Abba Father, in receiving heavenly provision, in being comforted through times of despair, in bringing glory to your Abba Father, in being obedient to the will of Abba Father, and finally, in knowing your identity as an adopted child of God who can cry out, Abba Father. And if you're here this morning and you don't know God as your Abba Father, then as I was praying, I felt God say, share this. If you're here this morning, maybe you're visiting, you're here for the first time, maybe you've been coming a while, and you don't know God as your Abba Father. You've never asked Jesus into your life. This is what God wanted to say to you. This is from the book of Revelation. We don't share very often. It can be a confusing book. But Jesus wants to say this to you this morning. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, that's you, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. God is knocking on the door of your heart today. 
Will you open it up to your Abba Father? Amen.